I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back. It's the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online and apps. In episode 121, we discuss NBC's coverage of the Manchester Derby, Relevant suing the US Soccer Federation, NWSL's growing pains when it comes to streaming, news about the Man United treble documentary, plus letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, and I am joined today by my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. Now, Kartik, uh... It's been another busy week of football from around the world. Um, for you, what's what stood out for you? What, what were kind of the, the things worth mentioning from this past week? I, I, I know you got to watch a lot, a lot of soccer, as I did too, but uh, what stood out for you? I, I thought, uh, you know, the f- first thing that stood out, stood out for me, I guess, just from a fan perspective, was that um, Dortmund actually played well and, and looked like they might make this a title race. I mean, they've been winning matches, staying... Uh, within touching distance of Bayern, but the, the wins have all come in stoppage time or 89th minute, uh, improbable winners, those sorts of things. So uh, that, that that I thought was important. And the other thing that stood out football-wise was Leeds United's uh, collapse. And, and, you know, this is not maybe a media topic, but maybe it is because we hear so much about Bielsa and there are a lot of self-styled sophisticates here in the United States who – who think anything Bielsa touches is 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 golden, and that um, you know the the standard of British coaching and British football isn't very high. And uh, I mean, I, I just don't know what what we're going to say to those people when Chris Wilder uh, beats uh, leads to promotion, or, or or maybe Dean Smith in, in in the playoffs with Aston Villa, Chris Wilder with Sheffield United, uh, two English managers. So uh, those those stood out. And then in addition, uh, NBC's coverage of. Actually, yeah. let me chime in about Leeds United. I mean, I mean for okay. a lot of listeners, I mean, many of our listeners will know, but outside of the Premier League, Leeds United is the biggest club in England that's not in the Premier League. So from a, from a television media point of view, uh, Leeds United is a big deal, and, and to get them back into the Premier League would be massive. They have huge fan bases around the world, uh, a lot of it from the popularity and success that the team had um, in the 70s, um, yeah, 60s and 70s, really, kind of those glory times. But the thing about Leeds United, though, Kartik, I mean, just from watching them this past week, um, I've watched them earlier in the season where they were just scintillating. This past week or two, I've seen a couple of their games. They look tired. And and, and that's the thing, though, too, is that you look at the the, the squad that Leeds United has, and there's not a lot of star players there. Maybe Bamford's probably one of the top stars. And he hadn't been playing well until recently. Yeah, but but then you look at Aston Villa and all the money they've they've spent – and I mean Norwich has got a good squad. They they bought um, I mean very smartly <clears throat> in the in the in previous transfer windows. But it's not as if like Leeds has like a really I mean fantastic squad and Bielsa comes in and just oh, just has to turn it on. I, I don't deny that, and I actually agree with that. And I, I don't I think Bielsa's done a great job. It's just that we were we've been lectured a lot of us who follow English football closely by those who don't, particularly in this country. Um, about how uh, you know how how terrible English managers were and how how great Bielsa was. So I, I find the irony in it. Uh, Leeds, Leeds, by the way, is one of the largest cities in the country. It's a one club town. Uh, potentially, if they got back into the Premier League and had a sustained run in the pre- Premier League, they could be as big as any club in England outside of Manchester United, Liverpool, and Arsenal. Those three clubs have fan bases throughout the country. The other clubs 
Most of England really don't. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, they could easily be... Yeah, they'd probably be the fourth club in terms of having fans in different places. Yeah, I, I can see them almost being like a, a Newcastle United a, a, of that level of, of fandom, um, not with the success that uh, other clubs have had, but uh, with the potential. So, Kartik, before I cut you off, uh, you mentioned uh, you were mentioning about NBC's coverage of the Premier League uh, this past week. Yeah, Chris, there was a lot of interesting stuff they did over the weekend and then early into the week. They had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday matches. I thought one of the most interesting things I saw was Tuesday uh, in the pregame show uh, with Robbie Earl and Kyle Martino, uh, hosted by Ahmed Farid. They had done a tactics board apparently on YouTube, I guess on Sunday after the uh, Everton uh, Everton Man United match at Goodison. And Robbie Earl uh, was trying to determine which man, which players were Manchester United level players in that 18. And he drew X's through the players he would get rid of. And he circled the guys he would keep. And he only circled six names, uh, Rashford, Lingard. And, and quite honestly, I can't remember who the other four were. I, mean, I think he might have circled Pogba. There's some serious debate about that. But um, that was, to me, pretty telling. But that's the kind of feature you don't necessarily see on other broadcasters of the sport. In this country, um, they've also had a lot of really good analysis, I think, of, of uh, because what, what we've seen happen this Premier League season is the race for fourth looks more like a relegation race. Um, Spurs were artificially kind of uh, in touching distance with the other three. But I think most of us knew all along they, they're a much better team than Chelsea, uh, Arsenal or United. And, and they, they had just had a lot of injuries. Sissoko's hurt, Kane's hurt. Uh, and, and then also the fixture congestion from being doing so well in Champions League um, that they would pull away from the other three. But the other three, it feels like a relegation fight. Quite honestly, the way that those those three clubs have been playing. I mean, Chelsea get results, but they just it's like they're grinding out results like a team that's fighting relegation. And um, United has looked terrible for for a while now. And Arsenal, um, Arsenal just don't have a very deep squad. And and I don't think that's Unai Emery's fault. But there's been a lot of really analysis in the NBC studio of what's going wrong um, at at those three clubs in terms of player selection, maybe management, maybe uh, mismanagement from the top, and I'm not talking about the managers, but but the people who make decisions about transfers, uh, the chief executives at the club, the Edward Wards, etc. And um, it's almost as if, and this is a this is a tough tough thing to swallow. It is almost as if NBC is at the top of their game, Chris, when Manchester United and Chelsea, uh, and in this case also Arsenal, well, actually in the past also Arsenal have been faltering. And there's more to talk about. They get more critical. They get really down into the weeds and give us some some really good analysis. When we're hearing about how great Liverpool and Manchester City are, they're both on record setting paces, uh, partly because I think of the weakness of the league when you get further down the table and and the weakness of those three clubs I just mentioned. And, and, uh, you know, Spurs have been very good, even though, like I said, they they, they slipped up a bit in the table due to fixture congestion. Um, Their analysis isn't as interesting or sharp. It, It is actually more interesting to watch them, and this is something that just occurred to me this week, uh, when those three clubs who have, uh, other than Liverpool, the largest fan bases in the U.S., um, are faltering. Yeah, and, and to be fair to uh, also to like kind of Robbie Musto, Robbie Earl, and, and Carl Martino, who have been doing you know, great jobs uh, analyzing the Premier League all season long, even, even in the days when Man United were winning matches, Robbie Musto especially would like be like, yeah... Yeah, th- yes, they got the three points, but just the performance, that's not at the level that we expect from Manchester United. They can do better. And throughout the whole season, I think they've been really fair and, and critical, critical analysis. Not, nothing, nothing negative, just, just kind of sharing their observations. And I think we're at a stage now in the season where big questions are being asked, especially after that game. I mean, the Manchester Derby, I mean, Man United was, was one of the worst performances I've seen in the Manchester yeah. Derby in, in many, many years. Yeah, so so I think I think they're spot on with their analysis. Um, one thing I liked about this past weekend, well, a couple of things I liked was the um, the Man City Spurs game uh, on NBCSN on Saturday morning. Uh, again, we had Clive Tilsley doing the commentary for NBCSN uh, on this one. What was interesting, though, for me at least, was that at the beginning of the second half, just as the players are coming coming onto the pitch and Clive is talking, uh, he, he dumbed down his commentary. A little bit, uh, and I'm not sure if this is something that uh, NBCSN asks him to do, to kind of uh, paint the picture, 
or whether he's thinking, okay, well, most Americans probably don't know the Premier League as intimately as people from England, which I disagree with, but that maybe that's what his thinking was. But he, what, what he did was at the beginning of the second half is that uh, he was talking about Lee Dixon, former Arsenal defender Lee Dixon, as if he has to introduce him, and also discussing about Liverpool and Spurs and the last time that Liverpool had won the title, the last time Spurs had won the title which is good background for people that are brand new to the Premier League, have never watched this league before, and maybe coming in on, on a Manchester City, hearing all the great things about them. But I, I was curious on that one to see whether or not it was him kind of leading that discussion or, or if, um, if the producer kind of whispered in his ear, like, hey, just give some background in a little bit for a couple of minutes just to fill some time before the, the players kick off. Um, um, but, but, that's the sort of thing that Arlo White re- regularly does during matches, right? So I, I did yeah. notice that, and, and it was surprising coming from Tildesley. Uh, but Clive Tildesley, again, was a delight in that match. Um, but I have to point this out. During the Manchester derby, uh, Arlo White seemed to be more kind of uh, anglicized in his commentary. He let large portions of that match breathed, maybe because it was so lifeless from United. I, I know I've seen accounts, people are tweeting at me, oh, United were good in the first half. No, they weren't. They were good for 20 minutes. They came out buzzing, obviously. Solskjaer had given them a, 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 a ripe ripping after the Everton performance. But after about minute 20, they, they, they were never in the match, even if they created half chances. I mean, it was it was a pitiful performance. But um, what Arlo White did, I think, is he let a lot of that match breathe, even in a three-man booth, which we don't always hear from him. So that was a, a little bit of a change from him, and, and I, I thought his commentary was quite good, and that was surprising. And again, the pitch side desk he excels at. Yeah. Um, but yeah, interesting observation. I think Tildesley um, maybe felt like he had to dumb down the commentary a little bit for, for U.S. fans. Maybe it is the producers saying that, but again, um, by and large, the commentary style Look, that was an early kickoff on a, on, on a Saturday, and I had a long day because I had a, a Miami FC game uh, that evening that I was, I was uh, commentating on. And so I was like, ah, I have to get up that early. And Tilsley keeps you engaged the way he, he uh, co- uh, comments on the match. So he's yeah. not – he doesn't over-talk uh, over like some commentators do, but then at the same time – there's a lot of value for what he says. And then Lee Dixon, of course, is always top shelf. Although, um, Chris, before uh, I turn it over to you, we should uh, we should note that you and I have gotten increasing number of tweets directed at us by Spurs fans about um, Lee Dixon commenting on Spurs games. <laughs> yeah, well, let me mention Clive Tilsley first. He has such, a, such a, an authoritative voice. That it's one of those voices that you just want to listen to for hours and hours. It just, it just, you know, it, such confidence and, and such a great voice. Um, I mean, fantastic commentator. And, and it was just that one thing I, I noticed at, the, at that second half. Uh, Arlo, I think in the last few weeks has improved. Uh, I know he got into kind of a got kind of prickly with us on, on Twitter um, when some some of our listeners shared some of the feedback uh, we've been given about Arlo, and, and it, it's not meant to be anything negative. It's just meant to be kind of our honest observations, kind of our straight shooting. This is what we're feeling. This is what we're hearing. Um, so who knows? Maybe Arlo's listening to some of that feedback and, and trying to improve. But I think he's, he's gotten better in the last few weeks. And I mean, you either love him or hate him, or yeah, there's some people are in between. Now, the, the thing about Lee Dixon, yeah, absolutely. You got uh, Spurs fans complaining like, oh, why do we have to have Lee Dixon once again as a co-commentator, every Spurs game has Lee Dixon, so on and so forth. Well, Lee Dixon is, even though he played for Arsenal, he's a Manchester City supporter. Uh, and, I mean, started uh, his football career at Burnley, has a lot of ties to Burnley too, but his family and, and him himself are Manchester City supporters. So when you have a Lee Dixon commentating on a Spurs game, yes, he's a previous Arsenal player, but I, I don't see the bias there. And, and what I've kind of... Uh, bounce back on Twitter to, to a lot of these people that complain is, well, show me some Spurs, uh, former players or I mean former executives that are good analysts. And there's not that many out there. I think probably Garth Crooks is one, and he's pretty poor in the BBC in the UK. I, I can't think of it. Maybe, maybe Glenn Hoddle, but Glenn you mean, has had uh, ill health and is not a good analyst either. So, but, but I don't know if you have anything to add. Yeah, Jermaine Genus yeah. at, at times. Genus is uh, good. But- 
uh, yeah, uh, but he, this is, uh, I think, a constant crux for some supporters. So Jose Mourinho made it kind of public uh, when he is sitting with Neil Barnett on a Chelsea TV show in 2013 about, well, we're never going to get a fair shake. There are all these Liverpool and Manchester United supporters in the media. And so some clubs and, and, and Spurs supporters, some sport I mean, there are lots of Spurs supporters that are that way. Chelsea supporters are, 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 uh, are, are numbingly that way. And Mourinho played to it. Will just never if you if there's any Arsenal person or in, in the in the case of Mourinho he was complaining not about another London club but about Liverpool and Manchester United, uh, you just can't win with them, right? You just have to take it for what it is. Um, although although if you look if you watch Sky Sports as we did like what a couple of weeks ago for that Friday night football, and maybe we'll get it this Friday too for the Liverpool Huddersfield game. It is very Liverpool Man United centric. It's you well, mean, that's true. It's, yeah. it's Carragher. It's Gary Neville. Sometimes it's Graeme Souness. Sometimes it's Roy. You Keane, connect Kelly Cates with Kelly Cates. Liverpool also. Yeah, it's, it's it's as if there's no other clubs exist out, outside of the Liverpool Man United. So so for, from Jose's complaint, I get I get that from a from a UK perspective, but from a global perspective in terms of the way that the the game is broadcast or the Premier League is broadcast uh, worldwide, it is a very eclectic group of, of fans. John Champion's a fan of York City, but people have, have complained in the past about John Champion being uh, I think pro or anti-Liverpool. Uh, th- th- there's a long list of people out, out there that uh, people think that uh, the commentators are biased when, when they're not. Right, and, and uh, in the case of Graham Wiseau, who is a former Chelsea player, now maybe it's just bad luck for Chelsea. Graham Wiseau is a really intellectual, really good co-commentator and Craig Burley again had another fantastic week this week with ESPN FC um, he, he was a person who two, a month ago or two months ago whenever Solskjaer was made full time uh, was made permanent manager absolutely rubbished it in spite of his record and now he's been able to have you know a right go at Ed Woodward but maybe it's just bad luck for Chelsea that the, the, the former players that they put in the media have tended to be the more critical analytical intellectual types yeah, and, and then going back to the Manchester derby just for a minute too, uh, just one more, one more thing to point out. And I thought this is really well done. This is the first time I've seen it been done by NBCSN. But uh, pre-match, in, the, about, in about the 10-minute build-up to the kickoff, uh, NBCSN said, OK, we're going to go to a commercial break. But it's, we're going to show the footage from Old Trafford uninterrupted. And what they did is they did a split screen. So on the, on the left-hand side, you had the commercial for Budweiser or for whatever it was. And then on the right-hand side, you had the, the video feed uh, from Old Trafford with, with the sound t- turned off. But you can see what was happening in terms of you know, Sir Alex Ferguson taking his seat, players coming on onto the pitch, kind of warming up a little bit, those types of things. That I thought was really interesting. That I haven't seen that been done before. Uh, I wonder, as soon as I saw it, I thought, okay, all right, how long is it going to be before uh, we see ESPN or probably probably more so Fox Sports go ahead and copy that and start doing that too so that they can say hey we're giving all this great coverage and at the same time we're satisfying our advertisers NBC uh pioneered that at the Open last year, the, the British Open for American audiences, the Open uh, for the rest of the world, uh, golf, where they had something called playing through the break. And it was particularly useful because there were uh, – uh, he faded the last few holes of the tournament, but Tiger Woods was leading for a, a, a significant portion of the final round. So they – they, that was the first time I'd ever seen it. it was on that Sunday at the Open at Carnoustie last summer. And then I hadn't seen it again until uh, – well, then I saw it at another golf tournament on NBC. So it may have been the Ryder Cup. Um, I think that it's there. They pioneered it, and now they're applying it to another sport. So perhaps now ESPN, Fox, the rest, uh, uh, Turner, jump on it. But it is, it is something that NB, I've seen on NBC in another sport and never seen – and again, I don't watch other sports other than uh, – really, other than soccer and, and golf. So maybe they've been doing it in other sports as well, NFL, uh, you know, uh, uh, whatever else they show, uh, that I haven't seen, auto racing, etc. But um, – it's interesting. I think it's something that in this sport is useful in a pregame show. I hope, I just hope it never seeps its way into match coverage, um, oh, into the 45 <laughs> minutes. That's my concern yeah. about it. Yeah, which, which I could see somebody trying that, though, too. I mean, like, uh, we had, what, the 1990, well, actually, which, which, which World Cup would have been? 1986 World Cup, I remember, vividly, where it would break away for commercials, come back. And say, okay, wh- while we were gone, uh, you mean, I don't know, uh, Bulgaria scored a goal or, or whatever it was. And that was <laughs> right, right, absolutely right, right. dreadful. That was horrible. 
1990 might have had some something like that too. But, uh, but since 94, it's been you know, just match coverage, and that's the way it should be. My, my Although we did have commercials during you know, club matches that they would show uh, up until, I think, the late 90s in this country. I mean, I, I'm trying to – so MLS matches on national television were always um, – of, of you know continuous on ESPN, uh, ESPN and ABC in those days. But then there was uh, someone else. There were I had there was Directv still has that package. But for a few years in ninety eight, ninety nine, two thousand, I had uh, that Directv Direct Kick package for MLS. And some of the local broadcasters would break freely during the first and second half of games and come back and say, "Oh well, uh, uh, San Jose scored. It's San Jose one, DC United nil." I mean, it, it, it was horrible. Um, we don't want to get back to that. Yeah, it's hard to believe that that, that time existed, but it did, listeners, it did. We, we, we experienced it, and, and that was horrible. Um, my match of the week, Kartik, from this past week was uh, Frankfurt against Benfica in the Europa League. And, and this was uh, the second leg. This was last Thursday. Uh, in the first leg, Frankfurt looked uh, dead and buried. I think it, they lost uh, 4-2 in the first leg. Uh, but those two um, away goals they got were e- e- extremely important. And in the second leg, then, uh, in Frankfurt, uh, they won it 2-0. And uh, just a really good, great game to watch. And uh, Dave Farrar on the commentary, uh, who has probably one of the best voices in English football commentary. Just a fantastic voice. But, but the game itself was fantastic, too. Just a, a, great, uh, a great victory for, for Frankfurt, who... Uh, one of the, uh, the the positive teams outside of in the Bundesliga outside of uh, Bayern and, and Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, they've been very fun to watch. Uh, they're, they're probably not going to be in champ. Well, they could be in Champions League if they win um, this <laughs> this tournament. They could finish fourth uh, in the Bundesliga, but uh, they've been a fun team to watch all season. I've, I've enjoyed them in the Bundesliga. Oh, one last note before we go. Um, and I put this on Twitter. Fox took the Bundesliga for whatever reason more seriously this past weekend than they than they have for weeks. So they had Ian Joy in the studio, um, Alexi Lalas, uh, and and uh, had some uh, Warren Barton had some really good analytical conversations and breakdowns of. Uh, of matches. Now, my frustration is, and, and again, I, I you know, people who think that we just needlessly bash Fox, that's not the case. The problem is they're so inconsistent, Chris. There are times where they do things like this and you say, okay, they're giving the Bundesliga, it's a business end of the season, proper coverage. You're giving it the proper respect it deserves. The matches were all on FS1 for some reason last week. Uh, again, you know, that's been a problem What where they show the matches. And it seemed like they were taking it as seriously, the coverage is obviously, obviously different, but taking it as seriously as NBC takes the Premier League. But I'm almost certain this weekend, um, just because it's the way it works, they'll, they'll just flip a switch, throw the international feed on, or have voiceovers from, 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 uh, from LA, no studio, it'll be on FS2, or it'll be bumped to Fox Soccer Plus. And it's just, that, that's what's so frustrating, is that when they do, don't mail it in, Chris, mm-hmm. they can do pretty well with that league. It's just... They're not consistent enough. They're not committed enough. Yeah, I've, I've addressed this with Fox, too, and, and said to them that the same exact thing, just saying that it's so frustrating watching the Bundesliga because we don't know when there's going to be studio talent in, in the studio or whether it's going to be just kind of the voiceovers, kind of the, the narrators. Uh, and for the viewer, we, we don't know what to expect. And, and Fox had no answer to that. They, you mean, pretty much it was, okay, if it's on FS2, there's going to be no studio. If it's on FS1, they'll have a studio but that's about all that they can share. Uh, maybe share. that's it. Okay, that might explain it, actually. And it hasn't been on FS1 in weeks. Uh-huh. This week it was on FS1. They had four matches on FS1, well, five if you include uh, Friday. So they had five matches on FS1, and they had a studio the whole time. So get, so, so get ready for this weekend, Kartik, because Friday's game is on FS2. Uh, uh, the two games on Saturday are on FS2, and then Sunday... Uh, Sunday morning, the early kickoff is on FS1 and the other one's on FS2. So that's, but, but, that's what, what'll probably happen. So the Bayern and Dortmund games are going to be on FS2. And oh, wonderful. The only, the, only, <laughs> the only game on FS1 is Hoffenheim against Wolfsburg. Yeah, this is, this is uh, unacceptable. And look, NBC has had times where they've had to bump games to CNBC or U, I mean USA, they don't really use anymore. And, and uh, USA is a high-rated network, so I can understand why they don't want to preempt USA programming. But uh, where they have to dump, uh, they have to uh, drop the games to CNBC or somewhere else, and the studio and the presentation is still the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it, it, um, yeah, consistency. Those, 
Yeah, it's a lack of consistency. So I'm sitting there watching Bundesliga this past weekend saying, this is good. And, you know, we beat up on Alexi Lawless a lot. But when he does his research and is genuinely interested and it's compelling, which it kind of was this weekend, because, again, you've got a title race in that league. Um, and Leipzig's been playing so well and they played a well, a, a well again this week. It's like, yeah, he, he, he can be really good. And if he's if he's fed properly, Ian Joy knows that league as well as any anyone in this country. Um him and Keith Costigan are outstanding uh, on the Bundesliga when given the opportunity by Fox. Um, they can be quite good. So that that was the frustration, Chris. I mean, again, we're not we don't want we're not beating up on Fox saying, oh, they're just terrible. What we're saying is they don't they're not committed enough to their product to be as good as we we know they can be. and We see they can be. Yeah, yeah, and it all comes down to consistency. I mean, with NBCSN or, or being sports, you know that if you switched on the channel at, the, at any specific time over the weekend, you know, but like, like clockwork, the coverage is going to be on. They're going to have a, a pre-show. They're going to have a halftime. They're going to have a post-game show. They'll have talent in, in the studio. And, you mean, the talent rotates, but, but, but it's consistency. So, you know, you mean, you get used to turning it on versus kind of with Fox where – which is probably what it is. Is if it's on FS2, forget about it. They, they, they don't care. If it's on FS1, okay, they'll put uh, have a studio in house and and uh, but that's not never been communicated. I, I don't think. I, I don't think anyone knows that other than us and that and now the listeners. All right, let's move on to TV streaming news, Kartik, and uh, some very big news to start off with. Yeah, another week, another lawsuit, right? Uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation has blocked an Ecuadorian league game from being played in Miami on May 5th. As a result, National Order Relevant Sports has filed a lawsuit against the USSF claiming that it's a conflict of interest since some is Relevant's main competitor and that some pays the USSF more than $30 million a year uh, for its commercial rights. Uh, the USSF's response to the news is, quote, we reached out to FIFA and verified the FIFA Council's October 2018 confirmation stating that the sporting principle that official league matches must be played within the territory of their respective member association, unquote. However, that uh, was never from what I understand, communicated to relevant sports before uh, uh, the um, I, and actually U.S. soccer again, I don't think actually re- outright rejected it. They just uh, dragged out the application process to where the match could not be moved. Right. And um, that that again, this is this is the thing about U.S. soccer, Chris, even when um, maybe relevant sports shouldn't be hosting games from abroad in the U.S. Maybe the NASL made a bunch of mistakes and I've written about those mistakes that would have put them out of business eventually. Anyway, U.S. soccer has this arrogance or sloppiness. I don't know what it is. I guess it's both to put their finger on the scale and open themselves up to litigation, even if the party that they're, they're, they're supposed to be regulating or governing is making mistakes on their own. So uh, this is another example of that. You can, you can argue about the wisdom of, of, of these matches being moved. You can argue about the wisdom of relevant moving it this, during the course of the season and not announcing this before the start of the Ecuadorian campaign in January. However, U.S. soccer, if you read the documents, the court documents, uh, seems to have, again, you know, decided they were going to stall and stonewall and, and play this thing out to where Relevant has a legal case and now has sued. So um, stay tuned. This is a, this is legal action number seven that's pending against the U.S. Soccer Federation currently. And that's uh, I don't know why FIFA hasn't stepped in and, and, and put a stop to this. If it were some less significant footballing nation, they might have suspended them from international competition by now. There were seven legal actions against them. Yeah, but, but in some ways, we know why FIFA hasn't stepped in is, is that they have a really cozy relationship with the USSF. So yeah. it was Sunil Galati that got uh, Infantino re- uh, elected as president of FIFA. He was the one that was uh, walking around the room in the FIFA uh, Congress trying to win the votes, trying to do everything possible to make sure that Infantino won. So who knows what promises were made uh, for I mean, Galati helping Infantino uh, win and what uh, Infantino said, OK, here's how we'll help you, U.S. Uh, Soccer Federation. The, the, the three things that uh, jump out of me about this story, Kartik, is one, it's really, this is a really kind of a trial run for the opportunity for La Liga to have some league games played in the United States. Um, and by trying to push this through for the Ecuadorian League, I think Relevant knows where, where what's happening. They, they know where U.S. soccer stands, and they're not going to stand for it. They're going to go ahead and, you mean, they filed this lawsuit, so we have to wait and see, see what happens out of this one. 
Uh, the second thing is, is that uh, it's interesting that USSF's response to this is focused on talking about FIFA guidelines. I mean, we reached out to FIFA and we verified uh, that the, pr the principle that the official league matches must be played within the territory of the respective member association. So USSF kind of focusing on, okay, here's FIFA guidelines. This is what, uh, it's not us, it's FIFA guidelines. At the same time, uh, the USSF is not in compliance with FIFA, FIFA Article 9, which says right. promotion relegation for leagues around, I mean, around the world. almost Or, or other, or other. Or other um, FIFA guidelines. So, I mean, this week, sorry, sorry to cut you off, Chris, but this is important. It's timely. This week, MLS decided to go ahead and, and uh, abide by FIFA rules when it comes to solidarity payments and training compensation, which uh, my understanding has caught a lot of people in the Federation off guard. Um, and there is still a contingent of people in the Federation pushing back, saying we're going to fight it. So basically, MLS will par participate in uh, independently and the rest of the clubs governed by the USSF. We're banning it because there is antitrust. Uh, there, you know, there's some excuse. So, I mean, even that one, one of their leagues now says they're going to abide by FIFA statutes. Um, there's some pushback. And then the third thing is, is that uh, in this story, it mentions that some pays the USSF. Uh, approximately $30 million a year for its commercial rights to go ahead and, and stage games. So whether it's uh, I mean, U.S. W uh, men's team, women's team, you mean L3 or, or some other, other games. So they're paying $30 million. So some is paying uh, USSF for those rights. Uh, in the article, it mentions that Relevant Sports is paying $20 million to USSF for the rights to have games held in the United States, mostly International Champions Cup games. So Relevance paying $20 million a year for a relatively small number of games to be played. Meanwhile, some is paying just $30 million a year, just, just $10 million more for far more games. So those numbers seem to be out oh, of whack. And, and at least, and again, you know, uh, you and I both know this. We've talked to the uh, New York Cosmos owner, Rocco Camiso, the year and a half ago or so about uh, the, the television deal with some. Uh, that deal hadn't been papered until they got sued by the NASL and then they took an MO, MOU and papered it. My understanding is the 30 million is also the proceeds from the television deals, includes the proceeds from the television deals uh, that some has negotiated with Fox, ESPN, and Univision wow. uh, on behalf of the U.S. Soccer Federation and Major League Soccer. So uh, if you consider that those deals are worth somewhere in the neighborhood of 700 million over um, eight seasons that and uh, the USSF is getting 30 million a year. You times that by eight, that's 240 million. Um, that's undervaluing the Federation's television properties, the U.S. men's and women's national teams. Uh, the the uh, if it's 700 million or so approximately between those entities, then you've got uh, about 480 million or 460 staying in MLS. Um, which again, uh, this this is the sort of thing. Okay, relevant maybe making their own mistakes. There's a lot of things they do in business I don't personally agree with. Same thing, you know, with the NASL we talked about. Same thing with a lot of these other entities that have have, have sued them. Um, but they put their finger on the scale. The, uh, the U.S. Soccer, I'm saying, they put their finger on the scale all too often. Uh, they try and tip the scales. They're sloppy in how they uh, disclose things. They're sloppy in how they paper things. And they're just obvious inconsistencies that it makes it very easy for someone to litigate against them. And uh, my, my thinking is if these seven legal actions, they're going to lose one or two of them. Uh, we keep hearing from U.S. soccer supporters on, in social media that, oh, well, they haven't lost any lawsuits. Well, you, you don't win or lose a game that's currently being played, right? <laughs> I mean, all of these are, are current legal actions. So, yeah, they haven't lost uh, anything yet. They haven't won anything yet either. I mean, it's just like a, a sporting competition. So um, watch this space. I mean, this is, again, that, that $30 million you mentioned is, is really damning. All right, so next up in the news, um, expect some huge viewing numbers for the first legs of the UEFA Champions League on US TV next week. Reason being is that uh, the free-to-air Univision channel, uh, which is available over the air, will broadcast the semifinals of Spurs against Ajax and Barcelona against Liverpool, uh, as, as well as TNT broadcasting it, of course, on, uh, on cable. And uh, also the game will be simulcast on Univision Deportes Network. So, so, so that's a big viewership uh, opportunity there. And I believe the second legs, too, will also be on Univision. So uh, big moves there by Univision to, to boost those numbers. 
And Karthik, yeah. one more news item before we go on to the next segment. Yeah, that is huge, by the way. Uh, this Sunday, the Manchester United documentary entitled The Impossible Dream will debut on, e- on NBCSN at 2.30 p.m. Eastern, co-produced between NBC Sports and Manchester United. The two-hour documentary will air after the Manchester United match against Chelsea. The film will recall the 98-99 season where United won the FA Cup, Premier League, and UEFA Champions League. The treble also have to point out, Chris, on Friday... In the run-up to Huddersfield versus Liverpool, you'll see all three parts of Inside the Cop. Equal time here between United and Liverpool, bit of rivals. Uh, that series, uh, I'm not always Roger Pennant's biggest fan, but that series is really good. So if you haven't seen it yet, uh, set your DVR. Uh, I guess it would start at 12.30 Eastern and then go through 2 and then 2 o'clock they'll have uh, uh, their Premier League live. All right, so we're going to skip the uh, TV ratings segment for this uh, for this week's show, but you can get the full listing of all the uh, the numbers there uh, at worldsoccertalk.com on the homepage uh, in the next day or two. So it'll be up by this weekend. Listener mailbag, uh, Steve says, the UEFA guideline for handball says that any part of the commissioning of the attempt on goal, so if a ball skips up accidentally, hits a forward's hand before he uses his head or feet, uh, to put the ball in the net, that is to be disallowed. The Lorente goal follows that logic exactly. If the ref had seen the angle that everybody else had got to see on TV behind the ca- behind the goal, uh, he would have given a handball. We will never know, but he should have if it was handball. Uh, James Chavez says, um, uh, it sadly is the state of MLS at the moment without literally, without li- literally anyone watching the league on TV what is the honest future of the league? Once expansion stops, do they have a viable business? That's a great question. I mean, to, to me, my perspective on this is that once expansion stops, well, when will it stop? And we know this, this week that it's going to reach 30 teams. And I can guarantee that once we reach the 30, Don Garber will say, you know, probably won't say it now, but he'll say it at that time. Okay, let's expand to 32 and it's going to keep on going. It's going to keep on going unless someone stops this thing. Uh, you mean until pretty much every major U.S. soccer city, um, or city in the United States has a team. Uh, if it's not in MLS, it's going to be in USL. It's just going to keep on going and going. I, I, I see no stopping this. And, and that is their viable business. That is getting the, you mean, the $200 million for an expansion team. Um, that, is, that is tons of money coming through year after year. Now, where it, where it could there could be a pushback is eventually uh, cities, municipalities, local governments, potential uh, investors and owners are going to be tired of being pitted against each other. So what they do, it's always very strategic. We're going to go from 28 to 30. We're going to go from 30 to 32. They never say, hey, we're going to go from 20 to 30 and all of these uh, uh, places could get in. They're not, they're not saying now we could go from 28 to 34. They're saying 28 to 30 because they keep getting – um, governmental entities and investors and people to fork over at a premium. At some point, uh, there will be a pushback against it, not from within the soccer community, but from within uh, the, the local entities, private public partnerships, all these things that have to build stadiums, have to invest in these teams, have to have to fork over land. Um, until that happens, yeah, you're right. There's no stopping it. But that's what I'm counting on. I, I don't think there'll ever be any pushback from within the soccer community. FIFA doesn't care to regulate the U.S. Soccer Federation or, or MLS, as we talked about earlier. So, uh, But I think that's what's going to happen, and that will happen eventually. I just don't know when. Yeah, that could be another 10 years. And and, and even then, though, Kartik, there's always going to be some – I mean, some some city that says, okay, yeah, we'll we'll go ahead and do it. I mean, we need to have our own uh, professional sports team. There's always got there's going to be always another city that's going to say yes to it. That that's that's my point. Uh, Nash Rambler says one small thing I enjoyed seeing on the Friday simulcast of the Sky Sports broadcast on NBCSN was getting glimpses of the less obtrusive Sky Sports score slash clocked graphic before I was quick before it was quick, quickly covered up by NBC's graphic. I wish NBC would reduce the size of their graphic a bit and adopt the format of Team A. Uh, you mean the, the actual uh, Team A versus Team B uh, instead of Team A, Team B. Oh, I, I guess the format of it is different. I realize this is a, a little bit nitpicky, but I think it just works better, and it's the format that NBC uses when putting up the halftime and full-time scores at the at the bottom of the screen before going into break, and it is the format they use when the when they put uh, all the scores up uh, for the days or weekends Ooh. matches. 
Uh, yeah, that's actually a great point because uh, what you normally have is you'll have uh, it, oh, leads, uh, L-E-E, zero to, uh, she- uh, she- you know, let's say it's Sheffield, let's say S-W-U, NBC, yeah, that's, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of I had never thought about that. All right. Next up is Anthony Bello. He says, hi, guys. I was listening to last week's podcast, and I, I would like to set the record straight on what ITV has in terms of club football rights, which is basically nothing. They haven't had live rights to the Champions League in four years, and this season is the first season they don't have an, uh, even the rights to the highlights. Obviously, the channel doesn't, get, doesn't have any rights to the Premier League or Football League. In fact, the only rights they have uh, in a club game is one La Liga match a week. And that is because of the debacle with uh, 11 Sports. So that will probably go away when that TV contract is re- renegotiated. So Clive Tilsley has nothing to do on the weekends. Since NBC has gotten the Premier League rights, it has always felt that they have been looking for a number two commentator on days when they have two big games. Or, uh, or a guy to replace Arlo when Arlo has other commitments. But none of the people they have brought in, Steve Bauer, Derek Ray, worked out. Clive may be the perfect guy to fill that, to fill that role. He has a stable job, so he's probably not going to be going to another network or to get a better UK gig. And he's one hell of a commentator. I always enjoyed listening to his old calls on YouTube. So NBC uh, Sports, please have some discussion on making him your number two guy full time. So, so, so Derek Ray has uh, is, is been busy. He, he works for he doesn't work for NBC exclusively. He's been uh, he's going to be doing the Women's World Cup for Fox Sports. So he went to LA recently to um, some meetings there. He does a lot of the Bundesliga games for the World Feed. Um, so he's often on on the road. So when he's available and when NBC needs him, uh, they use him definitely, and he still will be featured, I'm sure, in the future. Steve Bauer works for BBC Sports. Yeah. And yeah. is not always available, so sometimes it, a lot of it depends on scheduling and uh, Steve Bauer getting permission from the BBC to go ahead and work for NBC, etc. Uh, from what I understand with Clive, uh, up until recently, he had an exclusive contract with ITV, um, and that is no longer exclusive. So NBC, hearing that, went in and uh, made him an offer he couldn't refuse. So uh, that's definitely a positive for us in the States. Yeah, and, and and on Steve Bauer, if you uh, if you poke around, if you have a if you're in the U.S. and you have a VPN or you're in the U.K., um, he's on a lot. He's he does a lot of work uh, for 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 various things, mostly BBC related. So um, I, I thought it was pretty miraculous NBC was able to work him into the schedule when they did in the past. And then with Derek Ray, as you said, um, it's been, you know, there've been times where his schedule is a little less hectic than it is now. And we've seen a fair amount of them on NBC, but uh, you and I both have a relationship with him. Know that he's doing a lot in prep for the women's world cup. And um, he does uh, um, at least uh, uh, four or five Bundesliga games a month. I want to say, uh, I mean, they're not all, you know, spread out every week, but uh, four or five international feed Bundesliga matches a month so um he and oftentimes when you watch fox you'll hear him on the on the international feed for the bundesliga so this would be maybe a more stable situation in that tilsley has less in the way of commitments okay Kartik. the next two comments uh from uh, listeners are see if you can answer these it's it's pretty long but the first one up is from ryan hawkins he says do you have any insights in, into why it's not possible to view the yahoo sports covered entities within the smart TV device interfaces. So far, I've been unable to find CONCACAF Champions League and NWSL games on the Roku and Amazon Fire devices via the Yahoo Sports channel. All I was able to do was point my Amazon Fire uh, Silk browser to the Yahoo Sports webpage and zoom in on the stream. To grow the product, or even if uh, for it to survive, it needs to come to these channels, doesn't it? it? It seems like a like it's similar technologies, isn't it? And then next up is from uh, Matt Lowry. Matt says, I'm a, I'm a fan of your podcast. I make a point to listen every week on my way to work. I don't have any so- social media accounts, so hopefully email will still work as a way to send you this comment. I wanted to see if you could discuss on your show about the lack of streaming options for the NWSL this season. I was dis- disappointed when they announced earlier this year that they were parting ways with the Lifetime channel. Since Lifetime, the app was actually pretty decent at streaming and has uh, Chromecast support, and all the games would be streamed this year on Yahoo Sports. I've tried Yahoo Sports for the first several matches this season, and it's a real disappointment. For starters, for whatever reason, the Yahoo Sports app 
doesn't support video streaming on my Android phone. And even if it did play video on my phone, the app doesn't support Chromecast. The app is not also not available for Android TV, which is where I watch my Fubo and ESPN Plus subscriptions since both apps work well on Android TV. I've been relegated to watching matches on my desktop computer on the Yahoo Sports website, which even there I've found the streaming uh, quality to be pretty poor. The video will repeatedly freeze on my 100 megabit per second connection. It is a shame that the top flight women's league in the US, which arguably has more household name stars than MLS, can't have, it, can't have a decent broadcast partner, especially in a World Cup year where players from this league are expected to win it all, and not just US players, for example, uh, Sam Kerr, Marta, etc. All men's leagues in the US, MLS, USL, NESL, are all accessible via streaming packages, so it seems only reasonable that the NWSL would be included along with them. ESPN Plus seems like the natural fit for the league. I was wondering if you had any insight into NWSL broadcasting rights and why it's so hard for this league to have a consistent broadcast partner. Yeah, so we heard so many complaints about Go90, Verizon's uh, defunct Go90 when they did NWSL a few seasons ago, similar complaints. And then the lifetime thing seemed to have sorted uh, this this situation for a year and a half or so. Uh, and and now uh, chaos again. I, I have a similar experience. So last week, uh, last Wednesday, and I didn't mention it on the show last week because we had a lot of other stuff to talk about. I tried to stream uh, Orlando was playing North Carolina. It ended up being a 5-0 match at North Carolina once, so I'm almost glad I didn't really see the match. Tried to stream it on my phone via Yahoo. It was choppy. It was, you know, pro- un- not properly pixelated. Shifted to my computer. Had some pro- or Sorry, shifted to my iPad. Had some problems there. Just gave up. Uh, and it ended up uh, Orlando lost 5-0, so I'm kind of glad I didn't watch it. But, um, yeah, I, I'm frustrated. I'm as frustrated as everyone else. And I have to be honest, I've watched... I, you know, you, you always say this is going to happen, Chris, as someone in the media or someone who's a fan or someone who's trying to try to be yeah, uh, egalitarian and fair and watch everything. But I've watched far less NWSL this season than I'd like to and far less than I have in previous in the previous three or four seasons uh, because of the accessibility issue and because of Yahoo. Uh, I don't have an answer. I wish I did. I'm in the same boat as the rest of you. It's a World Cup year. It's the absolute worst year for this to happen. And um there are a lot of issues with the league that I think we've discussed, you know, previously on the show. I, I, I don't, I don't have an answer other than to say, uh, I think that the hope is that coming out of the World Cup, NWSL feels like they'll get a bump and be able to negotiate a new television and streaming deal. That's the only thing I can, uh, I can say. I, I wouldn't count on that, but that's, uh, I think, where they are mentally with the whole uh, streaming stuff. Yeah, unfortunately, it's one of those things that's almost like you have to grin and bear it. I mean, it, it really is a sad state of affairs, losing the lifetime deal and uh, going to Yahoo Sports, which is not seen as, as a really reliable you mean, broadcast streaming partner. I mean, yes, I'm sure they do other sports too, and they probably do a good job with other sports, but um, it's almost like the red-headed stepchild, really, which is unfortunate. Hopefully things will improve. The only thing you can probably do is really just... Uh, is just keep on pinging Yahoo Sports and just saying, "Hey, this is re- this is not this is not acceptable," and, and hopefully that over time things will change and they'll let, they'll release more apps or, or make this uh, more seamless to where it is more possible to watch NWSL games uh, on on t- on streaming. Which this season I haven't watched any. I mean, in previous seasons I would have watched a few on Lifetime, especially. Last up is Chris Hardy. He says, "I'm the new soccer guy. I wrote in before. I have a question." Uh, AS English's Twitter account from Spain says that, that according to a French p- paper, Le, Le Keep, uh Zidane will get $500 million, uh, 500 million euros in the transfer market this summer to spend. But the Daily Mirror says it's 430. Uh, why is this and why do some pages say different quotes? A part of this, uh, Chris, is that um, so for AS, which is uh, out of uh, Spain or, or even Le, Le Keep, which is out of France. Uh, they're using euros for the, uh, the currency there. Uh, the, the Daily Mirror would be using pounds, so probably the, uh, the, if you transfer or convert 430 million pounds uh, into euros, it's probably about 500 million euros, roughly. Um, that is why that is so. Uh, and he says, also, I think uh, you all said that Ronaldo would miss more than two weeks uh, due, to injury, due to injury, but Goal and BR, Bleacher Report said he will be back in one or two weeks. 
other pages I should avoid. I ask because I, I've, I've followed fake agent pages while in the past, and both of and I know that both of those are fake that he followed. I don't think the Daily Mirror is that. I'm just asking why is stuff different? And he says one more thing. The Daily Mail says uh, Eden Hazard deal to Real Madrid would be completed in the next three to four days for 100 euros or 86 million pounds. A few others have said that too. And uh, But an article four days ago uh, and yesterday in the mail again says that Chelsea want 100 million pounds for him. I know it's all rumors and gossip, but I don't get why they say different things. So there's a lot there too. So a lot of it is that... Um, there's different sources that some, some of the reporters would be talking to different people. Um, sometimes they're talking to the agents or the agents are calling the reporters, giving them, uh, feed, feeding them the information. They go ahead and report that. Uh, other times, actually, it's um, they're hearing it from a second source. So maybe they hear it from a newspaper in Spain or, or they hear it from a newspaper in Italy. And then they go ahead and, and report it in England. Um, the, the whole world of transfer rumors and... Um, and, and kind of just gossip is a huge, huge, huge industry because it generates clicks, it generates traffic, and the Daily Mail especially is always r- reporting about different rumors. From what, which ones are the, probably the most reliable? I'd say BBC Sports and The Guardian would be the most reliable in terms of transfers. I would stay away from the Daily Mirror. I would stay away from the Daily Mail. I would stay, stay away from the Daily Star uh, and The Express. And then from the others... Sometimes they'll be right, sometimes they'll be wrong. Um, but over time, you'll learn, you'll see which ones are... I mean, because the whole Eden Hazard to Real Madrid in the next three to four days for 100 euros, you mean, I, I don't see that happening. Maybe it'll happen in yeah. summer, but a lot, a lot of it... Some of it's made up. Some of it's fake. Some of it's just, just to, you mean, sell newspapers. Uh, and it could be, you mean, on, on very unreliable sources or just stuff that they make up. So I wouldn't put too much... Uh, value in what those papers say unless it's the bbc sport or the guardian okay you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on twitter at worldsoccertalk plus of course you can post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com so thank you for listening you can get a new episode of the world soccer talk podcast every thursday every episode is released on soundcloud spotify youtube stitcher itunes TuneIn, audio boom and worldsoccertalk.com if you like the show share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on itunes we greatly appreciate it in kartik heading into another weekend of uh football from around the world what should they do enjoy your football Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.